All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Greetings, creeps, and welcome to my podcast, This House is Haunted. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing not only my personal experience of having spent two years in a haunted house in eastern Kentucky, but also some creative storytelling about the ghosts and figures that I met there in the house to kind of bring them back to life. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. The lady was dreaming, this much she knew for certain. She'd sought to see her sleep the day after her family had left to return to their respective homes after the holiday festivities. Her sister had been reluctant to leave after the happening with the thing in the mountain, but the lady had assured her that the thing had no intentions of rearing its ugly head until spring had settled in. When asked how she knew this, the lady had shrugged and said, The mountain told me as much. Her sister had cocked an eyebrow at this, but refrained from poking fun about the lady's newfound talent for talking to rock formations. What she hadn't shared with her sister was that during the burning of the burlap scraps and the crow's feathers, she had felt the presence of her grandmother standing beside them. As the black smoke had been cleared by a cool wind, she had heard her granny's voice whisper, Come speak with me in the hidden place in two nights' time. And then it too was pulled away by the banishing wind they had summoned. After drinking a mixture of lavender, valerian root, and a couple of other plants that might be frowned on, the lady had stoked her fireplace, set down a protective circle, and relaxed into the comfort of her bed. She breathed deeply and exhaled fully, feeling her body relax with the rhythm. She felt weightless, and everything had seemed to slow down. Sleep enveloped her. She did not stir until she heard the summer chorus of frogs and crickets echoing loudly around her. She felt warmth, as if stepping onto a porch in the middle of summer. Her mind, still groggy with sleep, took a few moments to register that it was January, and she last remembered lying in her bed, her flannel nightgown and several quilts helping stave off the winter chill that her fireplace wasn't quite able to reach. Her body tensed, worrying that she'd been pulled into the cave again, but then she felt a warm breeze with the heavy scent of lilies. No, the air in that wretched place had never smelled this sweet. She remembered that she was on a quest to find her grandmother in the hidden place. The place between sleep and waking. The place between life and death. Lilies had been her granny's favorite flower, and she had planted them all around her home so that anyone visiting in the summer would be lulled to sleep by their sweet scent on any given night. The lady opened her eyes and realized she was standing on the edge of her protective ward lines. She looked around in awe at her home, now transformed in this place between what was hidden. She felt no darkness, 
and a great warm shining full moon showered all around her with golden light. Fireflies by the millions were dancing all around, their winking glow giving an ethereal gleam to her sight. The fae she had envisioned dancing along the ridge were now clearly in front of her, dashing from one flower petal to the next so quickly that they reminded her of tiny fallen stars. Even the night could not dull the beauty of the hundreds of wildflowers that spread as far as her eye could see along the mountain. Lilies of every variety mixed with Queen Anne's lace, asters, cosmos, and roses of so many varieties that she'd never seen outside of the pages of one of her library books. A group of startlingly white deer grazed among the wildflowers, some with the fuzzy antlers of youth belying their age. A wolf was resting peacefully on a nearby ridge, and its closeness did not alarm the deer who all continued to graze lazily aside from the great stag at the front. He looked up to the lady, his proud, thick neck supporting antlers that glittered as if embedded with tiny white diamonds filled with starlight. There was no fear in his gaze, and he nodded towards her, and the lady, startled by this display, clumsily nodded back, and he gave what she could have sworn was a jaunty grin before dipping low to continue his grazing. A familiar, lilted voice rang out as the lady was trying to decide if she should have courtesied, and then felt foolish for thinking she should have done so to a deer, no matter how regal he appeared. Well, it would have been polite to do so to one of your spirit guides, darling, but he's pretty fair-spirited, so I don't reckon you got anything to worry yourself over, so you can quit that frowning any time you like. The lady turned suddenly then her mouth falling open as she gazed at her grandmother for the first time in what felt like a lifetime. The withered and time-ravaged figure she had last seen was replaced by a strong, plump vision she had not seen since she was a young girl. Her grandmother, no longer stooped from the arthritis that had caused her so much pain, stood tall and radiant, her long copper hair braided down her back. She wore white linen that in life would have been stained with dirt from gardening, but now shone bright and beautiful. As her granny walked closer, she felt hot tears filling her eyes. This was her grandmother, no doubt about it, but her grandmother in her truest form without the pain, grief, or worry. Her granny, now close, reached out to the lady and cupped her face and hands that were now soft but still strong from use. I am as I was always meant to be, my sweet girl. Toil is a mortal thing, and I am beyond all that tomfoolery now. The lady laughed, pleased to hear that her granny still used words like tomfoolery even now. She tried to say as much, but her voice seemed to catch in her throat. She found this confusing, but was not alarmed. Her granny, sensing this, said plainly, here, tis I that can speak, and you are the phantom. Our time is short as the bloody beast. She looked over her shoulder, towards the place in the mountain where the cave stood. Continues to grow its strength and disrupt all that is. She motioned for the lady to join her at the rustic little table and chair, 
that was made from the most beautiful white oak the lady had ever seen. A pitcher of what looked to be sweet tea was placed in the middle with two tall, chilled glasses. We might be in the in-between, but that doesn't mean we ain't still in Kentucky, my love. She poured the lady a glass and then herself. A feeling of complete peace overcame the lady as the tea invigorated her mind, body, and soul. Mana, her grandmother nodded. I can share it with you this once, given that we're given what we're facing. We figured you needed a little boost, as that thing can take a mighty big bite from your spirit when you're close to it. The lady looked up, determined to hear every word of what this woman who had guided her in life, and who was now guiding her beyond, had to say. Yes, this place was a dream come to life, but it would not matter if she could not find a way to stop the thing in the mountain. Very right you are, lass. What you be facing no one should ever have to do. I ain't missed that withered body of mine one second till I saw that you were facing in that cave. Now, I'd give me left foot to be there with you, to send it back to where it came from. The lady reached forward and took her granny's hand and squeezed it, before lifting it lovingly up to her cheek. Her granny smiled. But we play the cards were dealt even here. The lady lowered her hand, but did not release her granny's. I'm supposing you're wondering what exactly you're dealing with, eh, girl? The lady nodded, and her granny continued. It is something old, but that much you've gathered of your own accord. It is a type of elemental spirit, but instead of being a guardian of this place, it is its dark heart come to life. That cave was once a place of great power for people who existed long before we came along. This was before even the Cherokees settled into these parts, although they have many names for it as well. The Fae believe it is something of their realm that summoned it when this mountain was young and much larger than it is now. This place is old, much like all the mountains of Appalachia, and filled to the brim with precious stones, ore, coal, and limestone. A great... A great reservoir sits below us, feeding all the wild you see now, and magnifies all of the energies bound inside. It has not always been here. In fact, relative to most, this place has not even a quarter of its existence. It has existed in places of great heartache like Pompeii. I suppose you've gathered that it revels in pain and suffering, that it feeds it. But it also allows its darkness to spread, to fill up the dark parts of man left open by loss, poverty, desperation, fear, and uncertainty. The lady remembered the sickly oozing form tethered in the cave and shuddered. You are right to fear it. It was bound by powerful spirit wielders and holy women and men long ago. That's when the sig that's where the sigil flags came from. Binding wards, hundreds of them, based on the guardian spirits of the land like the fox, the rabbit, the wolf, and the stag. The lady nodded, turning slightly to observe the stag who stood looking towards she and her granny once more, an intelligence reflected back at her that spanned lifetimes. So it slipped, bound deep in the dark of the cave, that is, until the mine started up. Her granny filled the lady's tea glass once more, and the lady drank deeply, 
feeling the warm wave of understanding, strength, and steadfastness fill her. Even a dream in it found you, my darling. Or rather, felt your presence. You have no small gift, and would make no small meal for something such as it. It could use your life to corrupt others, to take your form and twist it. A sort of herald for its reckoning on those that bound it so long ago. Yes, many of their ancestors live in these little hollows, still, but they'd never know it. Her granny sighed here. So here you stand, alone on a mountain with a real monster, and no real means for stopping it aside from finding a way to strengthen the binding still in place. The lady attempted to speak, and her granny nodded and patted her hand. Not alone, then, but with a sister, who may or may not make it back in time to help you stop this thing. The lady frowned, and her granny tisked. Oh, okay, then. I know she'll come a-running, come heck or high water. But she has not seen all that you have, my girl. She can't. That is not her gift, but... She can't. That is not her gift, but yours. She would have drugged you out of here kicking and screaming that first night had she known what you were really up against. The lady could not argue here, thinking back that her sister had wasted no time in urging her to leave. I see now why you cannot do that, child. Much as it pains me to say, this became your fight the minute you stepped foot on this mountain. It's claimed you, much as I do even now. Your bountiful harvest, your reception from the townsfolk... Those are blessings sent to you from the protectors of this mountain. They need you, as they cannot face this interloper alone. The lady lost in her grandmother's words had not noticed that an array of wildlife had crowded around them. Great hulking black bears standing every bit of seven feet tall. An array of red and gray foxes. Hundreds of rabbits of every color. Chubby groundhogs, squirrels, moles birds of every shape and size, along with the large herd of deer that the lady had been observing, were all standing and watching the conversation the lady had with her granny. Dispersed between them, she saw the shifting glint of the fae as they moved rapidly between the animals. She felt their warmth, their wildness, and their urging that she could protect them all, that she could stop the thing in the mountain from poisoning all that she held dear. If she could only be brave... Granny stood now, still holding the lady's hand, and turned towards the gathering. Blood of my blood, you are their chosen champion. What say you to their request? The lady inhaled, never hesitating, and thought, I will do this. I will find a way to strengthen the bindings. I will find a way to protect this place and all that I love. The forest, once quiet, erupted in the sound she loved that filled her summer here. The life of the mountain. Her last vision was that of her granny's smiling face before she woke to the late morning sun shining directly into her eyes. The night had passed. She was safely in her cozy bed. She inhaled and the faint smell of lilies filled the room for but a moment before dispersing. She felt more alive than she had in months. Her mind was racing with ideas, and she pulled herself from under the warm covers and muttered, No time for moping around. There's much work to be done now. By March, the lady had been working diligently to up the defenses around her home. 
She had bartered with several neighbors to assemble a small arsenal of iron hoes, rakes, and other items that she had worked with a local blacksmith to forge into a long staff that took on the appearance of a fallen branch. She had the smith also adhere a variety of stones including black onyx, hematite, jasper, and tiger's eye that would work together to amplify her protection against the thing in the mountain. It was heavy and would have been uncomfortable for her a mere six months ago, but since her visit to the hidden place she had felt her strength grow mentally and physically with each passing day. Her dreams had been her own and she had seen more wildlife on the property in the last few weeks than she had since moving into the house. Her sister was set to arrive that very afternoon, and she would be bringing with her several items from their family altar. Calling on their ancestors has been something her family had done for as long as the lady could remember, even if the practice was becoming less popular with the younger members of the family. She was working now to split more hawthorn logs as she had been burning them nightly when her sister's carriage began its ascent up the drive. The lady finished the log, wiped the sweat from her brow as it was an unseasonably balmy afternoon, and walked to welcome her sister. You would have never thought she had come for war with an elemental spirit, because she bound from the carriage once her reins were secure and wrapped her wiry but strong arms around the lady. I have much to tell you, sister of mine. I had the most amazing vision after arriving back home. You'll never believe it. Here the lady laughed, pulling herself away before being smothered by her sister's enthusiasm. Did it have something to do with Granny? Her sister, startled only for a second, laughed and playfully pushed the lady's shoulder. Of course she came to you, too. Let's grab a cup of tea and catch up before we talk strategy. Her sister placing her hands on her hips, careened her head around. Looks like someone's been building a fortress while I've been away. The lady, never missing a step, said, Or a tomb. After catching up, the two sisters talked for many hours about their experiences with their granny. The warmth of being around her again seemed to fill the living room as they spoke and the smell of lilies teased both their senses. When supper time rolled around and the sun began to dip behind the mountain, the sisters tucked into some venison the lady had been slow cooking through the afternoon. Feeling pleasantly full and cheered by the presence of someone they loved so dearly, the sisters shared that they had both felt the support of the mountain in their seer sleeps, but had first been confused about how to bind something that was as old as the mountain itself. They'd consulted numerous family books and diaries to see if there was any mention of elemental spirits, but came up empty save for one that was kept by none other than their granny. In it, she had spoken about a story she had heard during a family reunion in the wee hours of the night after the tea had run out and the whiskey flasks had been pulled out to warm them by the fire. A cousin of theirs, who hadn't been in the States for long, spoke about encountering a nasty water elemental in one of the moors of Ireland. The people of the nearest town had been tormented by it, many being drawn into its murky waters and drowned. They had difficulty with cultivating any crops, and strange illnesses beset those of all ages. Their cousin said it was a sad state of affairs, and, had, and many contemplated just moving before one of the town's healers came forward and offered up the advice to wield iron up against it as it was in the same realm as the Fae they were so familiar with. 
They had surrounded the spot where so many had been lured to their demise with every piece of iron they could find. The being had been trapped but no less powerful and continued to plague any passerbys. When her granny had asked how they had stopped it, they had stated it took a sacrifice of great power. But by this time, their cousins were filled with many a cup of Kentucky bourbon and whiskey and dozed off mid-conversation. Her granny never heard the end of the story, and the sisters, not sure what kind of sacrifice was intended, felt it wasn't a whole lot of help. Over the next several days, they did what they could to prepare. Following the lead of those who had imprisoned the thing in the cave before, the women made tiny sigils of power on pieces of flannel and cotton that the lady had in abundance from her sewing jobs. They made images of stags and foxes, but also of families holding hands, needle and thread, fire, and of the mountain itself. The sigils are only as powerful as the belief of the person making them to offer protection. The lady crafted a few containing tiny rudimentary images of a wedding band, of the carriage she arrived in with her husband, of the apples they had rejoiced in harvesting, and of the house that had felt like home. These were things the lady believed in above all else, love, memory, and family. She felt her cheeks warm as she and her sister worked to imbue their will in every piece. One thing that troubled the lady was how they were planning on getting close enough to bind the thing in the cave. She remembered its pulse and energy filled with hatred, rage, and cunning, and the memory made her shiver in repulsion. She had felt nauseous for days following every interaction, and those had only happened in her dreams. To be, to be physically close to it, to possibly touch it, it seemed unimaginable. As she ruminated on this daunting task, her sister continued checking their wards and adding things throughout the property. One thing the lady found particularly interesting were tiny poppets made of corn husks and bound with seagrass so commonly used on hay bales. One had long red hair and one had dark wavy tresses. When she asked her sister what purpose they would serve, she simply replied, Insurance plan. She had seen her sister walk into the house with them, but had her attention pulled away suddenly as she watched the large white stag from her dream walk confidently across her orchard. Here he had no jewels glittering in his impressive antlers, but he was no less regal for the lack of them. His herd was not far behind, with at least nine females and two speckled fawns frolicking playfully throughout the nude-bloomed daffodils. They were a sight to behold in the midst of this war planning, a picture of complete serenity, a vision of what this mountain could and should be. As they drew closer, she kept her eyes keenly on the stag, who showed no fear of her, and in fact, seemed to be walking directly towards her. As he got to an apple tree no more than forty feet from her, he took a great heaving breath and then began to rub his antlers roughly against the tree. The other deer stood stock still and observed as he continued to rub the first layer of bark off of the tree in his vigor. Just as the lady began to wonder why he was doing this, both antlers shed from the top of his head, hitting the ground with an impossibly loud thud. The lady gasped, unsure what to make of this, her body tensing for fear that the thing in the cave was somehow hurting this deer because of its closeness to her. But the stag never startled. Instead, 
He shook his head, blew loudly through his nostrils, and then stood back up looking directly at the lady once more. He did not seem to be in distress, and the rest of his herd was not bounding away, as indicating that there was no danger present. The lady relaxed a bit, but cocked her head to one side, trying to figure out what all this meant. Her sister's voice, somehow directly beside her, even though she had once again not heard her approach, she's going to get a need to get a bell for her at this rate, whispered. It's an offering from our mountain kin, I reckon. I've heard of critters coming to the aid of those of us with a second sight, but I've never seen a deer loosen his rack right in front of someone before. You couldn't ask for a luckier gift. They make for powerful workings. As if on cue, the buck pawed the ground three times, gave one last sigh, and turned and walked his herd slowly down the mountain and into the valley of the holler, closer to the creek bed. The lady and her sister walked the distance to the apple tree and each picked up an antler. There were seven hardy points to each antler, and they were every bit the length of the lady's arms. As she held it, the lady felt the warmth of many Kentucky summers, the balance of a herd that trusted their leader implicitly, and the calm of a thing of nature that has perfect understanding of what its place in the world is. As these feelings swept across her, Another feeling loomed. Dread. If she and her sister were not successful, there would be no more balance to this idyllic place. She gripped the antler tightly, intent on making sure that never happened. April, and its abundant rain showers and temperamental weather, was upon the holler in what seemed like no time. The lady and her sister continued to work the small farm, but never stopped adding to their protections around the property. One rainy afternoon, the lady had decided to take a nap since they were holed up inside with a very windy thunderstorm making its way through. Her sister offered to set about making lunch for them as well as a nice herbal tea to help stave off the headache that the lady had been complaining of all through the morning. As the lady sat on the edge of her mattress and slid off her slippers, she felt an intense wave of nausea grip her suddenly and her hands wrapped instinctively around her belly in response. The pain was so intense she had lost her footing and slid down the mattress and unceremoniously onto the floor. She heard a thud come from the kitchen and attempted to call out to her sister, but could not find her voice aside from a guttural moan as another wave of nausea rocked her forward. She heard a familiar chittering sound rolling down from the mountain and her skin crawled. It was awake. The thing in the cave was truly awake. The lady took a ragged breath and exhaled deeply, calling upon the strength of her ancestors, of her family, and of her deep connection to this parcel of land and focused her will. She took another faltering breath, and with this exhale she focused on dispelling the sickly, consuming energy of the thing in the cave. Her nausea subsided. She heard her sister weakly call out, well, That was one heck of an alarm. The lady chuckled softly to herself in spite of the panic and fear she felt. You ain't lying. I knew the lords would give off a warning, but I, think it, I didn't think it would be quite like that. The lady slowly rose from the floor, gripping the side of the bed to steady her still-swimming head. She heard her sister snort and the rustling of fabric as she too lifted herself from the floor. 
If that was just the warning bell, I hate to see what else we have in store. The lady imagining the thing writhing in the dark, its twisted and mutilating form with its misshapen bones, sinewy tendons and eyeless face, all with that malicious, maniacal, jagged grin cut deep into its cheeks. Sister, we're in for the fight of our lives. It was then that her sister walked haltingly into the room. I expected as much. How much time you think we got? The lady began to answer, but the smell of rotten decay struck her before she could. Her sister's face contorted in disgust, as she too must have caught the scent. The lady, taking another deep breath, said in a voice more calm than she felt, It comes. Her sister pulled the two antlers that had been a gift from the mountain from the deep pockets of her sweater and tossed one to the lady. She also indicated that the lady should pick up the staff that she had leaning in the doorway. You're going to need that and this before the day's out. The warmth the lady always felt when she touched the antler blazed in her hand, calming her spirit and giving her focus. As she walked across the room and gripped the staff, she felt another wave of calm and peace and power. Her sister, keeping one of the antlers in her own hand, sighed and said, It might have time on its side, but we have the spirit of this very mountain on ours. I like them odds. The lady nodded and said, Best not wait anymore. I don't want that thing getting down to the ha Before she could finish her sentence, the chittering sound of the thing in the cave echoed much closer. It was free of the cave, that much she was certain. A howling wind blew powerfully against the house, and the rain seemed to intensify. Definitely elemental, her sister chimed. This ain't no ordinary storm, and very few things can influence the weather in this way. The storm raged, great claps of thunder seeming to shake the very foundation of the house. The lady pulled on her cloak, and her sister did the same. If it is elemental, it has soured and become something other. As the two women stepped through the door, they held hands tightly, the wind immediately whipping back the hoods of their cloaks, the cool spring rain blowing directly into their determined faces. Looking up the mountain, they saw what looked like a great billowing smoke rolling down from the direction of the cave. The ladies squinted as they walked off the porch and towards the ward lines they had been meticulously enforcing all these weeks. They stopped momentarily at the ward, looked to one another, squeezing the other's hand, and then stepped beyond the protection line they had been so careful to stay within. The lady half expected to be pulled towards the thing in the cave as it had done before in her dream, but she remained rooted to the earth with her sister's hand firmly in hers. Her eyes never left the slow-moving cloud of dark smoke rolling down the mountain, except now that she was beyond the ward, she could see it was not smoke at all, but a great flock of crows circling so tightly together it was hard to tell what they were. They were frantically swooping towards something on the ground, and it was then that the lady realized the crows were not working with the thing in the mountain, but were working to slow its progress. Her sister must have recognized this too, as she said, Well, I'll be damned. They weren't threatening us at all. They were warning us, showing us the bindings, bringing them to us. We were wrong. 
The lady nodded, not wanting to dwell on this fact, but still feeling some shame. It was then that a great roaring clicking sound came down from where the cloud of crows were. It was so loud that they were pushed back by it, some of them falling to the ground, others flying into nearby trees, while several took flight upwards and away from the menacing sound. The ladies looked solemnly to one another, realizing that they had no more time left to observe and sprinted beyond the wards and towards the thing they hoped to stop from destroying the town. Well, hello there, creeps. Welcome back to the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky. Now, I know I said that this would be the finale for Ghost Story, but I've got one more episode in store for us until we resume talking about my time living in a haunted house. I am so glad that you're here to listen along, and I hope you'll stick around to see how things pan out for me and mine. If you enjoy the show, please remember to like and most importantly, subscribe as that helps get the podcast out there and keeps it growing. I'm a one woman show, so every like, share and review makes my fuzzy little heart smile. It would also mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring new listeners to the pod. You can also find This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. Until we meet again, keep it creepy and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night.